You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. I mean, we talk about. We always hear about you know Colorado, Pennsylvania, um, Montana, some of these famous trout streams and their hatches and we seem to know them intimately from you know quite a ways away and and there's you're right there's not a lot about the the streams of british columbia why don't you walk us through the journey of the book that you just come out with like what 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 made you think maybe maybe i should put um put something together okay well i started probably about two almost 10 11 years ago when i started developing interest in and more writing well, professionally, but more for magazines. And mm-hmm. um, it's sort of a challenge for me. I always find things that I find hard to do. I develop an obsession for it. And writing for me is not an easy thing to do. It, it challenges me, it frustrates me, but at the same time, I find it enjoyable, um, especially putting everything together. I mean, my, my, my day job, I do a lot of research, obviously, on aquatic insects and doing the research and putting the things together into something that makes sense. I find very satisfying. And then obviously when I practice my hobby, like fly fishing, my brain cannot let go of that. So some people like to zone out. Um, some people like to get very intensely focused on something and that's how they zone out. And I think I'm more of that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And to really diving into how different insects hatch and behave, that sort of, sort of spurred me on to develop something. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge published for Western North America. I mean, Rick Fields published a lot of things. He's a, I'm a big fan of his, his work. Um, but there's nothing specific for, for BC, and I sort of took the time. I mean, the winters in Prince George are very long. <laughs> and we, uh, we have a lot of time in winter time if you, if you choose to, to either tie flies or do more research on your own time on understanding the aquatic insects and streams. And that's how I sort of started with that. And I started writing for BC Outdoors maybe oh, nine, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Sort of got my break there, and I sort of started writing that, putting things together. That sort of went from there. And about five, six years ago, I sort of came to the idea, well, you know, I should put some of the stuff together in a book. And I sort of developed that. And then with the pandemic and stuff, I was able to get it to a point where it's, I think, ready to go out to people. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you chose to join us this time around. And we're going to head back to, uh, well, familiar country on this podcast, Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. We've got Donnie Erasmus on the line. Now, Donnie is, uh, well, he, he, he's written a book called Hatches of British Columbia Trout Streams. He's been fly fishing for years. 
And here's here's a gentleman we could learn a lot from. Uh, definitely has a microbiology background. He's got a PhD uh, out of UBC. Um, studies, uh, I, I believe, population genetics of fish, um, genetic barcoding of aquatic insects. It sounds like somebody we need to talk to. Uh, big biochemistry background, microbiology, aquatic entomology, uh, even wine, and more importantly, an avid fly fisher. Donnie, thanks for coming on the podcast tonight. Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. I yeah. appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're going to get into your new book that is just hitting shelves, hitting stores, hitting the internet now. I know it's it's coming available, but before we do that, I always like to get a, a feel for you, what you're about. Um, why don't you, let's hit the rewind button and find out how, how did the passion for all things fins and aquatic insects start for you? Well, my passion for aquatic insects started sort of with fly fishing at the same time. Um, I mean, I always have always been at the passion for fishing. And when I started fly fishing, the match the hatch approach sort of always appealed to me. And I always sort of enjoyed that part, trying to unravel the, the puzzle there or to bring the puzzle together, rather, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I always have had scientific mind, even as a little kid, I mean, I've always had an interest in bugs, initially in ants and termites. And then as I grew up, and went to university more into smaller microscopic organisms. Um, but then as I started fly fishing, I really developed a real passion for, for aquatic insects because essentially that's a trout, trout's food. And um, when I moved to BC, I was quite surprised given the long history of BC fly fishing that there's not a lot of information on uh, aquatic insects and fly fishing for BC streams. And there's sort of a big gap, I think, in, in the knowledge for for, for British Columbia, in, in terms of stream fishing. I think for lakes, there's a long history and a proud history that BC has for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well put. I, I You're not wrong, because, um, I mean, we talk about, we always hear about, you know, Colorado, Pennsylvania, um, Montana, some of these famous trout streams and their hatches and we seem to know them intimately from you know quite a ways away and and there's you're right there's not a lot about the the streams of British Columbia why don't you walk us through the journey of the book that you just come out with like what 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 made you think maybe maybe I should put um put something together well it started probably about two almost 10, 11 years ago, when I started developing interest in, in more writing, prof- well, not professionally, but more for magazines. And mm-hmm. um, it's sort of a challenge for me. I always find things that I find hard to do. I develop an obsession for it. And writing for me is not an easy thing to do. It, it challenges me, it frustrates me, but at the same time, I find it enjoyable, um, especially putting everything together. I mean, my, my, my day job, I do a lot of research, obviously, on aquatic insects and doing the research and putting the things together into something that makes sense, I find very satisfying. And then obviously when I practice my hobby, like fly fishing, my brain cannot let go of that. So some people like to zone out. Um, Some people like to get very intensely focused on something and that's how they zone out. And I think I'm more of that kind of person. (laughs) And to really diving into how different insects hatch and behave, that sort sort of spurred me on to develop something. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge published for Western North America. I mean, Rick Fields published a lot of things. He's a, I'm a big fan of his, his work. Um, but there's nothing specific for, for BC. And I sort of took the time. I mean, the winters in Prince George is very long. <laughs> and we, uh, we have a lot of time in wintertime if you, if you choose to, to either tie flies or 
do more research on your own time on understanding the aquatic insects and streams. And that's how I sort of started with that. And I started writing for BC Outdoors maybe oh, nine, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Sort of got my break there and I sort of started writing that and putting things together. That sort of went from there. And about five, six years ago, I sort of came to the idea, well, you know what, I should put some of the stuff together in a book. And I sort of developed that. And then with the pandemic stuff, I was able to get it to a point where it's, I think, ready to go out to people. Mm-hmm. If you had to kind of look back on your fly fishing journey, and I know it's, you know, the entomology part of it, the science part of it is all intertwined with you. But if you had to look back at some people that influenced and kind of mentored or maybe helped you along the way, fly fishing wise, could you name a a couple of people? I I didn't have a direct uh, mentor myself, but I got into fly fishing just sort of teaching myself. Um, But I had a lot of good fishing friends over the years. And I find sometimes just having good fishing friends, just having discussions on on the topic, not necessarily directly teaching each other, but just sort of through osmosis and filtering between individuals, even when you just sort of transfer over. And I have a few friends, and I acknowledge them in the book as well. Ken Baker, he actually lives in Penticton. Um, when I moved to BC, he's sort of one of the guys that fishing with quite a bit. And then when I, when I moved to Prince George, uh, Brian Smith, mm-hmm. he, I'm not sure if you read his books. He's published a couple of books too. And... And it was almost more like like-minded people who have the same approach. And then, um, well, our parents sort of separate because I have kids and Brian was retiring. So matching up for fishing was sort of tough to do that. And I started fishing a lot with Rob Bryce, mm-hmm. who's a big steelhead guy. Right. And, um, and so I think those three guys sort of over the last 20 years, it, I, I think has influenced a lot of my fishing and my approach and thinking about things. Hmm. But also for a lot of people, I'm, I always tell my wife, I'm quite promiscuous in my fishing habits that I fish a lot of people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think, and I enjoy that part because earlier in life, I really focused on the fishing part, but now I really enjoy the social part as well. And we were on, on the way to a river or a lake, we end up talking the whole way fishing and on, on the way back, keep talking fishing. Yeah. And my wife always asked me, well, what do we uh, talk about? I said, well, we talk fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, you know what? That's that's yeah. a, that's a good segue because I want to take you off the water for a second. I want to get before we get sure. into your book and and your day to day. I want to know a little bit about what you're up to in the in the Prince George area. Um, okay, let's say you're driving in your truck to your favorite um, stretch of stream or river in uh, central northern BC. What yeah. is playing in the on the stereo? Well, even by myself. Yeah, you might laugh at this. I usually I'm a CBC guy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, um, I li- I listen to CBC. I, I like some of the programs. Where I, it sort of keeps me again uh, engaged, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. If I do listen to music, it might be something like Manfred and Sons, not always them. But I also, when I was younger, I really liked the, some of the 80s rock, YouTube things like that. But I don't think for me, on my way to fishing, that doesn't really put me in the right mood. If you like it, more yeah. Manfred and Sons, but. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, probably CBC when I'm by myself. Yeah. Um, if I'm driving with somebody, I usually talk the head off about fishing. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know a lot of writers that do a lot of talking. It's usually, uh, usually a lot of the writers that I talk to are fairly quiet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm. <laughs> well, if you get me on fishing, I will talk your head off. Um, <laughs> other things I usually tend to tend to be more quiet and keep my opinion yeah. to myself. Well, I just like to think that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, I, I don't see myself as a, as a writer. I'm not good enough to be a writer. Um, I, I think I'm 
angler who spend a lot of time thinking on the subject, who spend a lot of time researching it, yeah. and then enjoy the challenge of putting the word on paper. Sure. That's that's what I what I what I like. Um, yeah, I like there's the, a lot of good writers out there. I like the way you put that because I think that yeah. and that that's something that's kind of missing a little bit. I think in our pastime is you know there's a lot of people that really know how to write, but when you it's rare that you get to combine you know the science aspect with the entomology, um, the aquatic you know ecology with the fly fishing because it's not it's not the norm. <laughs> I guess not, no. Um, I, I, I guess, yeah. I tend to be a bit obsessive about things too, I guess. That sort of mm-hmm. helps a little bit. So the sort of yeah. determination, I guess, you can't let go, I guess, part of it. Are you a competitive person? Yes, except when it comes to fishing. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think I'm quite competitive in, in nature. I mean, sure. I play a lot of sports much younger, things like that, but... I've, Fishing, I find for me, it's very much uh, it sounds a bit of a cliche or more of intellectual exercise for me personally. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of guys I fish with too. I, I, I mean, I fish a lot of guys. In some cases, you end up not fishing with or, or women, and some people you end up end up fishing a lot more with. It's because of this similar type of approach, you know, the analytical approach to fishing. Sure. Um, but again, to each their own type thing. So you just kind of hit on sports. Let's go there. So obviously. Um you spent a fair bit of time in, in South Africa. Um, yeah. Are you a rugby guy or cricket? What, what's well, your sport? Well, I, 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 the number one sport that I watch mm-hmm. is, is rugby. I mean, it, it's in my blood, although I was a terrible rugby player. <laughs> I, never, I never realized until much later now that I'm suffering from all the long-term effects of injuries. But that is my number one sport. And obviously, South Africa's national team is Springboks. Yeah. We're current world champions. Um, then I watch cricket. Well, cricket is a hard thing to watch. It's not that easy to watch. You don't get a lot of coverage for it. But I, I enjoyed cricket too at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving to Canada, I sort of enjoyed American football, NFL. Um, yeah. I, I like the. There's also there's a physical part to football, but there's also a, a very think, thinking man's part in that thing as well. You know, you have to sort of figure out what the teams do and things like that. And, yeah. I enjoy that also of the, of the who, game. Who do you cheer for in the NFL? I'm a Packers fan. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And yeah. you want to know why? Sure. Are you going to laugh at this? Throw Not a cliche. I like the color of the uniforms. <laughs> well, that's that's very South African rugby colors. <laughs> exactly. So I always tell people, people always give me this funny look when I say I pick the team because they're of the color of the uniforms. Like, what? Anyway. Yeah, so it's that's like... how I started. But actually, over time, I grew to like the Packers. I mean, I like the history and the tradition they have. It's the Green Bay spring box. <laughs> Well, we can call them that if you like. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Um, so if you're opening your fly box, Donnie, on, on your favorite stretch of water, what pattern, and this is a big question, I realize that, but mm-hmm. more often than not, let's say you're throwing a dry fly. What are you reaching for? Yeah. Well, if, if I'm, ooh, if, it's, if, if, if there's no specific insect hatching, mm-hmm. it will be a, if I have to pick one fly, I would say size 16 atoms. Sure. Dry fly. Yeah. Um, I like tying little dry flies. It's just fun to tie. Yeah. Um, I like casting them. And most of the time, that little insect imitates enough insects, or that little fly, rather, imitates enough insects that I can get something going. Sure. Um, and it also requires a bit of finesse, too. Yeah. Um, 
Just that's what I would, I would pick, I think, as one fly. It may not be necessarily the, the most effective fly consistently, but hmm. that's a choice I make. What is the hatch you struggle with the most? Ooh. Midges on, on rivers, chronomets on rivers. Yeah. It, it, it's sort of this nice sort of uh, contradiction because in lakes, that's the go-to hatch, right? Um, but in, in, in rivers, it can be a tricky one to fish. Uh because mm-hmm. they're much smaller than what you see in lakes. I mean, the typical larvae, or bloodworm, well, they're not really bloodworms, they're more of olive color in, in rivers. They are a size half a centimeter long, the pupa, but slightly bigger than that. And then the actual, when the chromos hatches, midges, they are quite small too. You look in size 18, size 20 flies. And right. you often don't spot the fish feeding on them. You don't seem to have a lot of success, but... Um, because the reason why you don't have success is because you don't see, you're not necessarily seeing the, the the fish feeding on them because quite often it's gentle sips. Mm-hmm. But if you can figure it out, it's it's very rewarding, I think, especially yeah. little midge dry flies. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I think. In in and around Prince George area, is there a place you go to get your fix when you're not in your waders? So is there a fly shop you frequent, a coffee shop, you know, a local brew pub? Is, where do you go to get your fix when you're not fishing? Oh, sure, that's a good question. Um, I'm a bit of a homebody that way. Um, we have a couple of good local breweries, microbrews in town. Now, Crossroads, I enjoy their beers, and also Trench Brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have some good beers. I really enjoyed going there, but obviously the pandemic's been a while since I've been in there. <laughs> but if I had to choose a place, you know, Friday evening, you want after work or something to go relax, I would probably go to one of those two places, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fill in the blank for me, Donnie. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Reading about it. <laughs> or writing <laughs> or writing about it <laughs> or writing about it yes yeah. yeah i do a lot of reading about it i enjoy the reading part of life there's so much literature out there and uh, mm. i enjoy reading about it what's the be- and, and getting other people's opinions and thoughts on it you know yeah no i think i think uh that's pretty common uh story in, in this pastime for sure mm-hmm best job you've had are, are you doing it now or um what's the, what's the best job so far for you i think the best day job i i ever had is what i'm doing right now i really enjoy what i'm doing i am a full-time instructor at unbc i teach biochemistry mm-hmm. um the reason why i enjoy so much because I mean, it's, again it's, it sounds like cliche but Every year, I get these young, bright minds, right? And some of these kids are incredibly smart, way smarter than I am. And it's just jaw-dropping sometimes to see how smart some of these people are, right? And uh, mm-hmm. a, lot of them, a lot of them become doctors or do other things. Um, uh, that's what I enjoy for my job. And also, there's also the challenge of every time you have a course to teach, to teach something, you really need to understand the topic, right? And not just that, you also need to synthesize in a way that somebody never heard the topic or they've never been introduced to the topic that you can make sense to them. Mm-hmm. Still give them enough of a challenge, but at the same time, bring it down to a level where they can connect with it. And, and that can be, can, can be challenging sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. Um, well, I, I got a kick out of your, your Facebook on your Facebook bio. It said, been fly fishing since before the internet, which I, for some, <laughs> for some reason I got a kick out of because I thought, yeah. yeah. Um, 
It's a different. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it's a different. Fly fishing is a different animal now. I mean, think about. Let's go back 30 years. I I mean, you and I are probably similar age brackets. It's like. Yeah, yeah. Before the internet is right, it's like if I wanted to find something out about fly fishing, I had to go read it. I had to go to the library. Um, Maybe I could pick up a, you know, a fly fisherman magazine or. Um, there wasn't a lot of information out there. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, it, the internet has really changed the five years. And I, when I made that statement, I do, I'm very sarcastic in nature and quite often most people don't get it and I sort of look stupid because people don't get my sarcasm. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, absolutely true. I mean, I started um, to, to fly fish. I, I got books from the library and then the library got VHS tapes by Joe Humphreys. Oh, yeah. You know, and... <laughs> And that was a new world, you know, to, um, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, it, it's, there's so much access to knowledge nowadays on the internet. And, and I think the learning curve for people is so much faster, right? Right. Um, which, I, which is good, but also it's sort of, fly fishing is sort of a, a past that I think it takes, well, maybe I'm just old. You know, it, it's, it's something that you build in the long term. Yeah. And I think sometimes people think it's something you can build quickly and you can come become a quote-unquote a pro very quickly if you like, which is fine. That's just me getting grumpy and old, I guess, but that's, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> well, I know what you mean by that because now the the, the learning curve is so fast. Uh, I look at, yeah. do you know where I really see that, Donnie, is is in where, where? fly tying. Like I'll, I'll look at somebody's patterns that's been f- tying for five years but because of the yeah. access to the internet because of the access to youtube because of all these patterns you can really really become a very competent fly tire in a very short amount of time now oh yeah it's amazing there's a couple of people on instagram um one guy i'm a big fan of his name is Santeo. oh he's one of my one of my favorites yeah yeah the guy's flies are perfect there's never a barb on yeah. his dry flies out of place mm-hmm. and at one point he posted how long he's been flight time it's not long i think it's less than five years yeah. it's some incredibly short and i'm like how do... <laughs> this is just not fair you know yeah. i've actually <laughs> tried to get for years i tried to get him on the show but um yeah he, he's he's um he keeps to himself but i'll tell you what he has an amazing backstory, uh, military backstory yeah. but i i know that he whatever he does he does 110 percent. that's my take yeah, no, I can see that it is. It is just. I mean, I, I thought I'm an okay flight tire until I until I got onto Instagram and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just pretty much average. There is some um, some amazing flight tires. There's a guy also in Kootenai. I think his name's Kootenai Kid. Who's also yeah, I've had him for on. very few years. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, the guy ties phenomenal flies. There are so many people out there who are. Yeah. Well, I look at I look at some of Stanton Jack's patterns. I look at uh, Ooh, I same, look at yeah. Trevor uh, Tatarchuk. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean those guys are tying chironomid patterns that look more real than the actual bug. And it, to to me, it, it, it I find it motivating because I know I'll never probably quite get there, but it's yeah. um, you know at the same time it gives you something to shoot for. Yeah, no, definitely. Those two guys definitely seeing the bar in terms of flight tying as well. You know, it's uh, yeah. Um, I'm just amazed, you know. Um, but it was, was quite satisfying. My son was 11, got into f- uh, fly fishing maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then last year we were at Dragon Lake and they found a magazine by BC Outdoors and Phil Rolly that uh, was, I think the fly was called Swindler by Trevor. 
And okay. my son got the, the magazine there and he started tying them and that match went out and he, I think he beat me 10 to 1, number of fish we caught on the line. <laughs> so I, uh, I let Trevor know, yeah, your fly works pretty good. My son kicked my butt last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son did, that's not let me, well, he's, let me go with that one. He's from, he's from yeah. just down the road from you. So yeah, yeah, yeah Trevor, yeah, he's in town too. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, it's amazing how many uh, amazing fly tires there are. How many? But you hit it on the head in my mind. We think you know we think we're learning lots, but and this is what I I think attracts me to this to the pastime is when you really sit back and you look at the entomology, you look at where you you can spend a lifetime and not know half the entomology. Forget about the tying, forget about the casting, forget about reading water. Um, it's just. For me, it's just like, I don't even know where to start and end sometimes. It's like, I, I, I'll go down a rabbit hole of tying one fly pattern, and I have this tendency to just take screenshots, like, oh, I like that, oh, I like that. And then I sit down, and I get overwhelmed, because I'm like, well, I, I don't know what to tie now, because all these look so darn good. Oh, I know, I know exactly what you mean, you know. You end up tying, I don't know, 100 different patterns, Yeah. you know, for two or three different insects, you know, it's just <laughs> exactly what you mean. How big of a yeah. part in, in your world is, is fly tying? It is a big part. I would say for me, 50% of, of fly fishing to me is, is well, fly tying. I sort of to say how, how much does writing fit in there too. Um, maybe if I had to really decide, hey, yeah, it, it's a big part of fly yep. tying for me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my conference knocked back severely by by Instagram. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you're looking at sun tails patterns. <laughs> exactly. So now instead of saying, my 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 disclaimer now is, I tie flies to fish with. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I can so, yeah, It's a big part. Um, right now, a lot of my, I sort of, come to an equilibrium in terms of my tying that, um, I realized that. You don't need to have, if there's 50 different insects hatching, you don't need to have 50 different insects, uh, flies rather. Right. Um, you probably can get away with 20 different patterns and sort of doubling up on patterns that are, um, can be, can be, can be dual use, right? So for example, a little black CDC dry fly on size 18 can be used for some caddis as well as some stone flies, adults, right? So things like that, that I'm sort of doing, sort of, um, becoming more streamlined I'm missing the word I'm, I'm looking for here now um yeah efficient I guess the word I'm looking for because I mean you can spend a fortune on flight time stuff too right oh. and, and I've done that um yeah um yeah that's what I'm sort of trying to do but you sometimes you see stuff on 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 on, on the web and I gotta try that or you see the guys of fly fish food trying yeah. to sell the new pattern you know you're trying to do that too and uh, <laughs> well you know you got a whole bunch of extra stuff I find what I'm the worst at is always trying to put a new spin on something. And sometimes you're trying to reinvent the wheel. Then you get out on the water and you're like, why didn't I just put on that chromie with a white bead? And Because it always works. You know what I mean? Uh, you got one with like a little bit of a hot spot and it's like, ah. I, yeah. Oh, it's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's part of the fun too, I think sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I sort of try to ignore the dollar value on when you tie flies and all different materials you have and sort of just make this part of the journey, you know, trying to explore different materials and, yeah. um, cause I'll, what else are you going to do? You have to waste your money on something, right? It's worth <laughs> it to waste your money on. You know? There's worse addictions, 
Believe me. Exactly. We're chatting today with Donnie Erasmus. Um, Dr. Erasmus, um, he's written a book called Hatches of British Columbia Trout Streams. And this book keys in on the 30 most important hatches on streams and rivers in British Columbia. And this is a rabbit hole I love to go down. Um, what are, I mean, I don't want you to necessarily list them off one through 30, but I mean, talk to me. The 30 most important hatches, that's a big statement. That's a lot of bugs. Um, where do we start? Okay, yeah. Well, well, I've narrowed it down initially from 500. If you technically look at, if you look at what you call the EPTs, your mayflies, your stoneflies, and your caddisflies, mm-hmm. the three insect orders combined is approximately 500 species in BC. Right? Wow. Now, if you sort of then look at ones that are behave and look similar you can narrow down it to 100 or other ones that are common so from the 500 to down to 100 a lot of them are not widespread or i have hatches that are, that are big enough for angles to pay attention to if you, if you take that to, into account you get down to about 100 mm-hmm. different insects species you have to look at okay sure then from there if you look at so species that are closely related and look similar behave similar you can narrow down that to 30 right and if you narrow down to 30, you end up, let me just quickly see here, I think it's about oh, one, two, three, but 10, I should know this top of my head, I don't know why I know that, don't, don't, don't know this, but 12 mayfly species, eight or nine stonefly species, and then whatever is left over, eight or nine wow. um, caddisfly species, right? Sure. And that was your chronomets and your terrestrials. And if you, if, if we actually started to break it down that way, I mean, for caddisfly species, there's not that many you have to look at. And for caddis, which can be tricky, if you have um, an alkyr caddis, it's still a good fly to use, right? And that alkyr caddis can be used um, to imitate three or four different insects, different sizes, different colors. Sure. You solve your problems that way, right? So I think yeah. what I'm trying, also trying to do is, okay, there's 30 hatches. It might sound like a big number, but if you take a careful approach and a systematic approach, you can reduce that even more if you if, if you like right but mm-hmm. i think the point for, for me in this book is also there's a lot of noise if you like out there i mean people people see a whole bunch of insects hatching you know um giving them a, a, a resource where they can narrow it down to okay there's a mayfly hatching it's this color it's got x number of tails got three tails or two tails mm-hmm. uh, and you should narrow it down to three or four based on the book, right? So that's what I'm hoping to to achieve with the book. I, I like what you're doing there because, I, and I'm guilty of this. Okay, so chironomids, for for instance, there's apparently like over 2,500 species of chironomids, and that's a rabbit hole. But oh, we, yeah. we do overthink some of these things. I mean, there's critical hatches that we all know. We all know that hexa. Uh, mayfly that that pops on yes. on i mean it it's unmistakable the green drake hatch um you know you talk about elk caddis i love what you said there because i think a lot of us get stuck on okay i'm using a caddis but wait a minute if there's stoneflies popping maybe you upsize that caddis a little bit or it's even a grasshopper it, it could be fairly versatile I, I, exactly and um, i mean i, I don't in, in the book the fly pads i report sort of um different ones but i also make the point in that your standard well-known patterns are still effective and still very much valid right you don't need to go tie a whole bunch of new patterns to make sure you match the hatch i mean as you said you very you hit the nail on the head there 
keras, elk jaar keras, different size, different colors. Can you can mm. do so much with that, right? So yeah, um, I think what I'm hoping to do is to simplify things for people. But and I think that the the challenge comes in um, to be aware of the details, but not get to to get trapped in it. And um, sure, that's part of the thing I think fly fishing sometimes. So we like to get trapped in details, right? How many wraps do you have around you uh, on, on your pronobat, for example, right? Things like that. But. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're yeah. right. And 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 it comes down to, if, if somebody asks me my favorite dry fly pattern, it probably is a, an Elkhart Caddis or, or like you say, an Adams. Yeah. And those yeah. are, they're almost, as much as they're specific, they're searching patterns at the same time. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. I mean, what do you fish between the hatches? So when, so let's say you're on your favorite stream or river, uh, in mm-hmm. in northern central British Columbia, and nothing's coming off. Walk me through your thought process. So, are you okay? Going... So I will first I will first look at well time of year, right? Mm-hmm. If it's, sure. Um, then I will look at the kind of the, the weather I have. You know, is it overcast? Is it uh, bright sunny days? Mm-hmm. Um, if nothing is, well, obviously you shake the bushes, if there is bushes close by there, unless you're a river of more barren shoreline, see what, what, what may be crawling around or flying around. Sure. Um, then depending on that, I, I, I will fish nymphs. I mean, I fish nymphs a lot. I, I do your nymphing, I do indicator nymphing. Um, I'm not stuck on one specific way of fishing my nymphs. But I'll fish nymphs lots if there's nothing hatching and uh, there's nothing significantly, or oh, substantial, or rather, and substantial numbers correlated along the shoreline. I will put a nymph on and I will put the indicator on. Uh, airlock is my favorite indicator. Okay. And, and sometimes I will urine nymphs too, just because it's a very obsessive and addictive thing once you figure out how to do it. <laughs> um, um, well, maybe I don't know do it sufficiently yet, but it, it, it's you sort of you can't let go of it, right? Because so effective. Um, I will fish them. So in that case, come back, come back to your question. I'll put a nymph on, and I have a little size 14, very well weighted uh, clinger mayfly imitation that I'd like to use. That's probably my number one flight if I had to go, sure. go with nymphs. What color is that so, body? Is it gray? Is it brown? Okay. So here's the funny thing. It's of a reddish brown color. Mm-hmm. The body is primarily of a... Um, blood leech arizona semi-seal blood leech color sure and it's like a dark brownish color uh dark, dark, dark red color so yeah. maroon color yeah but it, it the color when it's, when it's in the water it looks a lot like the color looks a lot like most clinger mayfly nymphs and because it's well weighted it gets to where the fish are hmm. um which is i think is a one big well our worst kept secrets in nymphing is making sure you fly it quickly to where the fish are and that's probably what I, what I will start with first. Yeah. Are, um, are you? A, I, earlier, my, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, are you? Uh, are you a big uh, Pertagon uh, guy? Do you throw those once in a while? I have them in my box. Um, I, I do fish them, but I'm not. Um, this one answer question. No, no. It's too. I mean, it, it, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking it because it's a very effective fight to use, but it's too simple for me. Yeah. You know, it's. Um, I'd like to see a bit more intrigue for me. I like to, the fly has to be tied with the intent to imitate an insect. Yes. Um, that's for me what I would rather do. Now, my fly might have some features that's very similar to a perdicon nymph. Um, so be it. Um, mm-hmm. But I sort of take a different 
perspective on it. Yeah, um, I, I, I suspect, like, and obviously, um, I do a lot of stillwater fishing, just full disclosure yeah. here. So when we're fishing chronomids, yeah. I get excited when I see a throat sample and I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the real, you know, like when you see a hatch happening on the water or you see, um, you know, shucks in a spider web or you see, you see the real thing. So in my mind, that's yeah. the most exciting thing you can do in our pastime is try to use your own brain and figure out exactly. what that looks like when it's wet. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but then that that's yeah. a rabbit hole in itself, and I think that's where the searching patterns, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Donnie, when you say yeah. um, it's a little simple. It does simplify it, but it's a good place to start. So the deeper we get, you know, the deeper we get yeah. into this, I will change if I, if, for instance, and, and tell me if I'm out to lunch, but if, if chronomids are popping and I'm throwing a, a certain color, I will change that fly a lot until, because you know, you know when you get the right pattern, whether it's just a little bit of hemoglobin showing or whatever that may be, the fish will tell you. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, usually you sort of start off with a very generic pattern, and then uh, once mm-hmm. you got your first throat sample, you sort of work your way through different flies and sizes and different curvatures in the hook, and mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and, and to, I mean, to, to rubber fishing, to a large extent, who... I mean, um, sort of the attractor style fly patterns that the competition guys use. Um, and it has sort of been dominating fly fishing for the last few years. And there's nothing wrong with it. And it's, but I think there's also a lot you can do if you sort of try to add some features that sort of yeah. resemble a specific insect. But again, that's a different perspective on how you want to do things. Sure. Like to, to me, that's thinking outside the box. Are you, yeah, yeah. are you someone that, that has done some competitive fly fishing or I, I, I know at least you've definitely worked with some of those folks. No, I have not done any com- competitive fly fishing myself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know quite a few guys who are uh, into comp- competitive fly fishing and, 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 they're, and they're very good anglers. Yeah. Um, probably much better than I am, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nothing something, I mean, will I, will I try it? I always say never knock it until you've tried it. Sure, I'll try it. But it, I don't think it sort of speaks to my mindset. I think yeah. the mindset for, to be effective at competitive angling is quite different from, um, yeah. you have a certain mindset. I, I got to admit, and this is kind of a guilty pleasure, but when, when I'm on the water, I'm not competitive, but I do like it. When, when you figure it out and kind of the next boat over is looking, what is that person doing? You you want to be that boat. <laughs> you know? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, no, we all want to be that boat. Trust me. I've, I've been on lakes too. I've been lake and sometimes I've had the hot rod and everybody would sort of inch closer to me. And other times yeah. I was the one inching closer to the other guys. Right. So yeah, I, I know it's sort of human nature. You can't, uh, mm-hmm. you can't get away from it. It's, it's part of our fiber. Yeah. Agreed. Part of our DNA. Donnie, what was your biggest challenge in putting this book together? Ooh, good question. Like, it's sort of, sorry, I, I think the big challenge is to sort of make, make that leap and say, look, to say, I'm going to narrow down to these, these insects, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sure some guys can say, or some woman anglers can say, or some guys can say to me, well, in my stream, I have this hatching there, and it's not in your book sure that might be the case um i think that was probably the biggest challenge to sort of willing to make the statement and say well these bugs are the ones 
province-wide that you should pay attention to on a consistent basis. There might be one or two insects, although I'm pretty confident and that's not going to be the case, but it might be one or two insects that's on, on a local stream that somebody's been fished for years that, that I'm not aware of mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, it seems to me what you're attempting or what you're doing with this book is distilling down, like take away all the yeah. the muddiness. Like here's, yeah. you know, s- simplify it, but not oversimplified, but just distill it down to a few patterns, a few hatches that are going to be productive. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, sort of re- re- removing the noise in the background, right? That's sort of, because there's so many books out there across North America on, on matching the hatch, all excellent books. But it's not exactly what we need for BC, in my opinion. We need something specific that takes the BC context into consideration, I think. Well, how important is local knowledge in your mind? Because, I mean, yes, this is a global sport. You know, there's probably green drakes hatching all over the planet. I don't know. Um, But there's probably somewhat... There's there's always some differences depending on site-specific hatches, I'm sure. Oh I, oh, I think local knowledge is invaluable. Um, there's some general trends that you can pay attention to. Um, and I think in my first chapter, I sort of um, alluded, alluded to that. Um, you know, some of the general things you need to pay attention to, um, some general insect behaviors, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the specific timing or specific hatches, um, local knowledge is, is best, right? Um, but I think the book sort of gives you a good starting point wherever you go in BC that you can expect these hatches. Now, will it be off maybe by a week or two, depending on that year's weather and things like that? That's a possibility, right? Hmm. And on some rivers, you might find uh, the Western Green Drake hatch in early to middle June uh, is really important. Another uh, um, river that's higher up in the elevation or something like that, or a colder uh, uh, glacier fed stream uh, might be even in July, sure. you know, and on some streams, the wisdom green, green tech might not be important at all. And I think that's where local knowledge um, is key. In some rivers, for example, um, stoneflies, golden stoneflies might be more important than the other insects, right? And that yeah. local knowledge, I think, is what, what becomes important. I think the insects will still be in general, these 30 that I sort of narrow it down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the big bold statement comes in, I guess. Um, it's valid across the province, but which is for and where, that, that's where the local knowledge comes in. And to, and to develop that kind of thing, that will take years. But you, you essentially have to spend five to ten years on a river to really, yeah. to really develop that knowledge set, right? And that's, I'm not sure, unless you have a big, massive collaboration between many different anglers, that you, anglers willing to share that information too. Sure. Um, there's only way you'll get to it. And I probably think it's a Bible then, that book. But you can't get that'd be, that'd be, you can't get that off YouTube. Like I mean, you you just said five or six no. years fishing. You've got to put in the flight time too. It's it's one thing to see it; it's another thing to experience it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You have to spend time on the water too, right? Um, yeah. What? Yeah. Um, and I think. That, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, and I think I think it's also. I mean, some people say, "Well, why do you write your book in the in in the, in the era of internet?" Um, well. I have a website too, right? And, I, and I, from time to time, I change my website. The information that was on there two years ago is no longer on there, right? So I think in the case of a book, 
the book is always on your bookshelf, right? The book is always in the library. Right. Which you can consult it. Whereas uh, websites come and go. Some say they're around longer than other ones. Um, and I think that's one part that's lost with, with a lot of angling, a lot of knowledge, I think, is the people sort of dis, dis, disregard books. I am slowly building up a, a library of fly fishing books, as I've, especially older books, you know, because mm-hmm. it's amazing what kind of knowledge is out there in older books that people sort of rediscover. It's like, well, in the 1930s, um, Edward Hubert was talking about this topic specifically, but well, sort of lost to Edward Hubert was, for example. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, well, I, I know exactly what you mean, though. Like you're cataloging it. You're it's a it's a it's a capture in time. So, like, and that's actually, yes. actually why I do this podcast because I've talked. Yeah, to, yeah. I had Lonnie Waller on this podcast, and I thought this oh, guy okay. is a walking, talking encyclopedia. Guys like Todd Oshie, you know. Yeah, you can. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you can go back and listen to what they had to say. And for me, there's a lot of value in that. I think, I think that's, um, books are no different. Oh, exactly. I mean, exactly what you, what you record here. I mean, that's people's statements and cashier, essentially the, the opinions and uh, at that specific time, you know, it's captured with this podcast, right? And that's hmm. available exercise, I think. How has your fly fishing changed over the years? So, um, what you're doing now, how you're fishing now, how much has it evolved from, from back when you first started? Hmm. Boy, that's a good question. Um, I think early on when I started, I was very much lost in the details, right? Uh, you sort of chase every single fly pattern out there. Um, I have all these older catalog books that I bought early on in my fly fishing career. That I thought I need to have all these fly patterns to be effective, right? And um, as time went on, I realized, well, I need fewer and fewer fly patterns, I think, to be effective. I think that's probably the one part of it. Yeah. Also, uh, when I go to a different part of the world, um, if you sort of take a certain perspective on fly tying, um, then that's those flies you tie that's effective here will be effective there too. And that's, that's actually one of the things I learned from comparative fighting. I, I follow comparative fighting quite quite closely because I think there's a lot of innovation taking place there. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. And I try to pick those guys' brains. I know there's two, there's three people in town here that's quite heavily into it. And I, every, every opportunity I get, I pick their brains. They probably don't realize it, but <laughs> <laughs> after this podcast, they might stop talking to me. But <laughs> <laughs> I like to pick their brains because they have a different perspective on it and there's a lot of innovation taking place. And I um, mm-hmm. Always interesting to see their approaches to things. Yeah, um, and it is a thought process, and I know what yes. you mean. You just those people, you you're like a sponge. You just want to soak it up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, when you get home from a long day of fly fishing, or let's say you're you're camping yeah. somewhere, or you're staying in a lodge, wh- what's in the glass? I know you're a wine guy. What are you drinking? I, I yeah, yo, I I ooh, depending on what I'm eating too. Um, I like, I have to pick varietal. Sauvignon Blanc, I would say, it's my favorite varietal. Mm-hmm. And then the second is Pinot Gris. Okay. Uh, so I like more a steely or a herbaceous Sauvignon Blanc, so uh, New Zealand, for example. And then for red wines, again, that very much, very much depends on what I'm eating. Because if I, if I just have red wine by itself, I will, will not be functional for long after that. So I have to <laughs> eat food a bit. Um, and I like Pinot Noir. Uh, that's... Not the variety a lot of people would pick, but I also like a lot of lamb, and I like 
Pinot Noir with lamb sure. is one of my favorites. And then some of the other heavy Bordeaux varieties, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. And, then, and also even a Bordeaux blend, the Cap Capsauve and Merlot blend is also not bad. I sometimes prefer them separate. You know what's funny? I As, as somebody um, yeah. with uh, South African uh, descent, I thought for sure you would say Pinotage. Oh, actually, I was going to mention it because <laughs> Pinotage, a recipe, I actually do. One of my favorite ones is Pinotage from South Africa called Coffee, uh, not coffee Grinder. It has a lot of strong mocha and coffee aromas to it. Yeah, okay. And I just like that for easy drinking. It's it's. A, Definitely falls in the category of cheap and cheerful, especially in the, in the cheap part. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're not breaking the bank on that one, uh, but it's yeah. quite. I mean, I talk to people who are in, into wine; they don't like pinotage. Um, I went. I'm an undergraduate at where in South Africa where the pinotage was developed. So you sort of do. At least when, when I was at university there. The drinking culture was not was not beer; it was wine, right? And we mm-hmm. did, we drank a lot of pinotage. So you sort of get, to start to appreciate it for a day. So I I enjoy it, hmm. um, but I don't think many people would know pinotage unless you were in the wine industry. Well, the nice thing about it, and and I am, but uh, it, basically you can. It's a food friendly wine, right? Like like yes, like, like, yes. like you mentioned Pinot Noir. It's like that. It doesn't have to yeah. have a steak. You know, you could have some duck. Exactly. You could have something you yeah. know, uh, salads even. Something yeah. a little lighter, as long as you got the yeah. cheese hanging around. But yeah, no, it's oh, yeah. it's funny. When when I when I looked into your history and your background, your resume, I'm like, Oh crap, we, this could be a long interview because uh uh wine and fly fishing are the two things probably closest to my heart. So uh, and and to mine as well, funny enough, you know. Well, excuse me while we nerd out a little bit here, but um, exactly <laughs> um, the the end the entomology part of it for me is just like I I think if I had to do life over again, I think I'd get into entomology because I'm into I'm in it's like kind of like I'm a closet bird watcher too. For me, I just I okay. like observing nature. And I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's what fly fishing does for me. When I'm out there, all of a sudden, you're not just looking at the water. You're looking at the tiny little uh, golden stones kind of emerging, or you're looking at those chronomids popping, or you're looking at the bald eagle flying overhead. And I think that's a lot of what we miss in this day and age is we we forget the details. You know, it's one thing to know the science, but let's yeah, dig yeah. a little. You know, it's good to know the science, but you need to dig deeper and, and, and live yes. it, you know? Yeah. And, Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree hundred percent on that one. You know, it, it is so you sort of slow down, right? Uh, yeah. Soak in in nature. You know, there is so much the river can tell you just by by watching it, you know, mm-hmm. observing it. You know, and I and I find myself more and more talking about how my fishing evolved. I, I sort of well, my son is different. He's different stations like fly fishing, but for me, after ten fish, I sort of slowing down and how I catch fish. I just it's more the other little things leading up to catching the fish that's sort of more and more emphasis for me, right? Yeah. If I if you ever go if you, if you I'm, I'm gonna put this out there. If um if I tell you you can have a ten fish day, I for me that would be that'd be a that would be a nice day. Sure. Some people will disagree. Um but if I catch ten fish in an hour, it actually becomes actually boring because then it's too easy, right? Yeah. But if you have uh, uh, ten fish the whole day and you had to work each fish, you had to put the fuel cast and put you down perfectly you had to pick the right fly you had to cycle through three or four different patterns to pick the 
uh, the fly that matched the, in, the insect the fish was feeding on, it becomes challenging. Yeah. That's still totally rewarding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of I think the other thing I sort of over time I realized for myself at least um, how things have changed. I, I think I think that's very true. I'll, I'll give you an example. So I, I was fishing this lake that we've gone to many times just a couple of days ago, and I've honestly, Nani, I've had 50, mm-hmm. 60 fish days on that lake. It's yeah, just yeah, unbelievable yeah. when it's on, it's on. But I think it was starting yeah. to turn over. I got one mm-hmm. fish, but that one fish was nine pounds, and it was like, that's oh, all. Nice. That's all I needed. I didn't need anything yeah. else. You know, it, you're right. Yeah, it, yeah. If it's like shooting fish in a barrel, it's no fun either. Yeah, exactly. You want you want you want to have this mental battle with this pea-sized brain animal too, right? It's um, that's <laughs> part of the fun. It's you funny. Know? I'm having a flashback. I have had uh, Pete Stitcher on, who's also a, a biologist and a, a fish and nut, and he 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 always says, you know. Um, brain the size of a pea and all that but they always find a way to fool us and he was the one that yes. got me on to i thought it was really cool looking at the spider webs that's one thing i never ever had done until recently on the yes. river is that okay some, yeah. is that something you do a lot of yes i actually do and it's funny enough to mention because i think on page was page I actually have a photo on page 10 of the book if you, uh, when, you when you get the book um there's a photo of a squalor stone flying two blooming olives in in in, in a spider web so when I get to the river, I mean, if I go from the details of the process, I will lift rocks in the river, shake the bushes. If there is a cobwebs close by, I will I will inspect those as well hmm. to get an idea what's around. And also sort of, I sort of look with two eyes too. I sort of look at, is there something new there? But also, um, what do I need to tie on to start the day with, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I want to take it back to kind of the fishing to the to the water for you, and I'd love it um, if you could walk us through your dream day. So we don't need to okay. get specific. We don't want to give away you know secret spots. Oh. But okay, yeah. what are you chasing? What are you throwing? Is there a coffee in the morning? Something nice to drink at the end of the day? A meal involved? A campfire? Paint us a little picture. Okay. Well, for me, I. Well, I like to get up fairly early. I'm an early riser. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, fish don't always necessarily do the same thing. True. So what I usually like to do is I like to go into places that require a bit of traveling, you know, not just easy off the highway type stuff. Um, in Prince George, we have a lot of that where you can travel two, three hours into the bush where you can get to a river or a lake mm-hmm. um, with wild fish. And I'm hoping for fish that are, that are willing to take the fly but you need to figure them out. You sort of want to try different flies, you know, find out what works the best, you know, um, and a fish has to be picky. Uh, the size of fish, obviously, who doesn't like to catch a big fish? That includes me too. I like to catch big fish too, but I want the fish to be picky. I want that mental battle of the fish. That I have to go three or four different flies mm-hmm. and my cast has to be perfect, right? I want the fish to pay attention to that micro drag I cause on my little dry fly. That really technical aspect. That's what sort of makes me tick, I guess. Yeah, um, I get it. Um, and, and also, it has to be a soft... Uh, it, it doesn't have to be a heavy rice. I always look for um, a rice that's sort of gentle, too. Uh, a few years ago, I was with a friend on a river, and there was a trout rising opposite bank, and there was a big branch in front of it. And I, and I kid you not, I had to put my fly down in a square, two-square-foot area, roughly, Mm-hmm. 
En luckily my first cast, I'm, I'm not going to claim I'm a perfect caster, but my first cast, I landed perfect. And I landed the fish. It was a nine-incher. <laughs> I really could laugh at this. But you know what? That fish had me intrigued because it wanted something specific and you had to make a technical cast, right? And that, that did it for me, yeah. you know? Um, that's what I sort of look for, something that's sort of challenging. Um, and did you have to spend some time to figure out what the fish want, lakes or rivers? I've had some phenomenal days on, on lakes where um, the fish, you had to figure them out first before they, yeah. they, they wouldn't take the fly on a consistent basis. But after that, as soon as I figure them out, then I sort of lose interest in them too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't even have to explain it i i get what you're saying um yeah so as somebody that studies you know fish genetics how how important in your mind you know are the genetics of the say you're targeting rainbows in in a river or a system near you like are you fishing for a lot of black waters are we talking yeah. what types of rainbow trout are you fishing for mostly Okay, so uh, we actually have the Blackwater as one of my home rivers. So I fished the Blackwater three, four times a year, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit more. Um, then the other river I fish, the Slacker River. So we have a lot of wild populations around Prince George. Then we also close to the uh, Arctic watershed. So some of the rainbow trout I fish for are in the Arctic watershed and they're endemic to the Arctic, Arctic watershed. They made their way over the continental divide five to ten thousand years ago um right so we know these fish are wild that actually that's what have got me intrigued into population genetics of rainbow trout i mean there's a lot of good stuff been done already by rick taylor and a lot of his graduate students at ubc but sort of on a fine scale closer to real small smaller regions there's a lot of interesting things i think and that sort of got me intrigued into um different fish populations wild populations um, they phenotypically can look very different from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it's also influenced, um, and this I got in more and more into the, in the aquatic entomology part of things, um, just from my own re- research from, from my day job, that I find that a lot of these fish populations seem, their morphology seem to be influenced by food availability or lack thereof. Right. Um, the type of foods are there a river with good insect hatches. You know, um, are there rivers with, that are more oligotrophic in nature, not not a lot of nutrients available. So very the hatches are not intense, and the fish tend to develop features that tend seem to suggest more pescivorous type diets, things like that. Right? Sure. So, so they're, um, they're chasing bait fish or other fish. They're chasing bait fish, right? Mm-hmm. So that sort of inevitably will also influence how I fish to different rivers. Right. Um, I stopped playing in the long term, so some kind of quick metric to develop for fly anglers when you get to a new river, you know, based on certain insect count, can you determine which way is the best way to fish, pescivorous, like streamers, or mm-hmm. or trying to match the hatch of insects. But I think that's, that's going to be challenging to develop. That's interesting. But anyway, it's a fun that's, thing to think about. That's interesting to me. Because I, th- yeah. I, and that's why I asked you about the, um, you know, how important are their genetics? Like I, I, I've got more of a still water background and I, believe me, I mm-hmm. think it's, I think it's crazy important, especially when you're dealing Ooh. with stockfish, where do those fish come from? What are their tendencies? And, and we yeah, all yeah. know the black waters, they're looking for meat. I mean, if, if, if you throw, oh, yeah. you know, if you, if you throw a little, um, 
you know, shiner in front of it or a small bait fish, yeah. a clouser minnow, it's yeah, going to yeah. usually hammer it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, talking about lakes, um, I usually, when I fish a stock lake, I usually look at what kind of um, strain of rainbow trout they stock. And if it's black waters or some other more um, mixed uh, for example, the blackwater come from a river, the blackwater river. There's a lot of other fish species in there too, right? So okay. the blackwaters tend to be more aggressive, and I think yeah. a lot of the other strains that come from similar type environments will be will behave similar way. So I'm casting leeches, and I stir leeches fast, right? Mm-hmm. Where the panasks, I tend to focus more on what insects are around, yeah. things like that. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I actually, that's what is part of life I enjoy too. And with the faithful fish society and what they're doing and communicating to us, the kind of different strains. That it's so much, if you choose to do it, to research on the different strains and trying to I mean, put a puzzle together, right? Same thing. Mm-hmm. You sort of try to put a puzzle together and for this strain, you want to do this. And for that strain, you want to do that. Uh, if it actually makes a difference, I don't know. But it's part of the fun. How much does fly tying kind of complete that circle for you so obviously i know prince george has relatively long winters compared to maybe some yeah some of our stateside listeners um but you know some of the uh you know northern states it's very similar uh that tying season it's important to get you to that open water oh yeah oh, oh that's very true and actually the, 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 the phrase you use there tying season that's what i sometimes call it up here the, the flight tying season right yeah. You sort of, I, I say, I, like most other anglers, I keep a fairly detailed fishing journal. And from that fishing journal, at the end of the season, or beginning of the fly tying season, end of the fishing season, I will go through that and sort of take some of those notes and I will use that to um, start and tie some new flies and some new, uh, some new ideas that I have on some thoughts that I have for flies that I want to tie. I also take a lot of photos of insects. Sure. I spend half my time either with my with my cell phone or with my waterproof camera taking photos of insects, you know, because sometimes insect color can be quite confusing between different rivers. Excuse me, even for the same insect, right? So I take a lot of photos and I sort of play around. Sometimes I tie 10 different flies and one of them might be eventually make it into my fly box, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that knowingly beforehand because it's sort of part of the whole experimentation i guess i want to i want to jump down that rabbit hole uh you just talked about um photography of insects that's something that really fascinates me and i'm 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 always trying to capture and the new the new iphones the new android phones it's amazing it's amazing the detail you can get with that 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 tool in your pocket i mean you used to have to go and buy a seriously expensive camera with a macro lens and um yeah. What are you using to try to capture? Obviously, as somebody that's got this book out, um, hatches of yeah. British Columbia trout streams, thirty most important hatches on streams and rivers in British Columbia. There's a lot of photography, I would imagine, involved. And walk us through oh, how how yeah. how you capture that. Okay, I don't. Okay, I, I don't use smartphone for that part. I I, I use mostly a, a Nikon uh, waterproof camera here. It's a cool Pix. Yeah. AW130, that's what I use. Um, nothing super fancy, but I, I've over time developed a sense of um, taking a photo of the insect under water light conditions I need to have. And that takes some time too to play around. Um, I don't 
get super technical with it. I've tried that, but it's, you spend a lot of time and don't get a lot of success, at least for me. Um, you need to have a lot of resources, I guess, been able to be sufficiently effective with what I have. Nothing majorly mm -hmm. expensive. Do you go on? Use. Do you go on like a rapid fire mode so you get just that right focus, or is is um... no? Yeah, I go go for the right focus. I take three or four different photos, but I usually try to get the right focus. Um, but usually, after yeah, you take a lot of photos of insects before you get one that's that's good enough. Sometimes, yeah. Um, well, you're dealing yeah. with nature too, and they're moving around. Yeah, you, you can't predict what they're gonna do. No, no, and you suddenly get the right angle, and then the insect moves the wing, and then it's all blurry. <laughs> yeah, and you go again, right? And I've tried to play around with um, some of these freezing sprays you get, um, which is basically, I think it's carbon dioxide in there. Yeah, that makes Something sense. Like that, I think. And so, if you spray that in on the insects, you sort of stun them because you eliminate oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, I tried that kind of things; didn't really work. I tried all kinds of little tricks but in the end i just grab the insect hold it still in my hand and then try to get my camera focused and snap away hmm. so nothing super sophisticated yeah uh, i was just curious because i i did look at some of the pics um from the promotion of your book and i thought wow yeah you're yeah, doing, yeah. you're doing something right um yeah yeah donnie where do we find this book so um obviously your website what's the best way to get our hands on this on this book okay so right now um it's on pre-order with match hatch matcher flight uh, flying tackle in Vancouver area. Mm -hmm. I think it's Mission or Maple Ridge. Sorry, Maple Ridge. That's where they're located. Yeah. Um, then I've talked to a whole bunch of fly shops in the province, and most of them will stock it. And once I have the books, I will release the names of all those shops because I want to make sure they have the books first before people storming in. But pretty much most of the fly shops across the province will have it stocked, and I will. Do that in um, on the website, and I will announce it through uh, social media too. But um, I mean, sure. If yeah. somebody has a shop or wants to carry this, your your new book, how how do they get best to DM you on Instagram? What's the best way? Uh, the best way to get hold of me, um, direct message me on Instagram, Facebook, or email me at princegeorgeflyfisher at gmail .com. Any of those three ways will work just fine. What's your Instagram if, handle, you Donny? Uh, PG Fly Fisher. PG Fly Fisher. Got it. Yeah, very original. You know. Well, I like it. Simple. It's to the point. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're, we're chatting tonight with Donnie Erasmus. Um, now, he's an author, avid fly fisher, has written uh, a book called Hatches of British Columbia Trout Streams, which is just coming out. Uh, the 30 most important hatches you need to know about to kind of simplify that learning curve and make you more hopefully productive on the water. Donnie has a, uh, well, he's got a lot of science background, biochemistry, uh, microbiology, aquatic entomology, uh, wine chemistry and wine microbiology. So a little bit of everything that's important for those, uh, for those fishing trips. Um, what's what's in the cards for you once the book comes out have you got any uh, obviously with covid it's a bit of a challenging time but um i think probably the perfect time to do some reading and catch up on some hatches have you got any trips that kind of on your on your bucket list or wish list when things open up oh well i had two three trips planned for the summer and we just canceled the one this just tonight because of yeah, how the pandemic seems to be changing unfortunately uh, I was planning to go to Salmon Lake. Um, mm, love yeah, that spot. 
Kamloops, and we just sort of decided to cancel it. It just won't be appropriate, I think, with the, yeah. the pandemic being, being one of those people who travel between different regions. Yeah, well, that's I was still hoping to get, yeah, my plan was off of if the pandemic was going to slow down to get to the East Kootenays again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the likelihood of that happening, I think, is less and less, given how the pandemic is going. I was hoping to spend there two weeks with... Um, with the family and kids. Where are you? Uh, uh, would that be an Elk River kind of thing, St. Mary's, um, without it, naming Saint, the secret the river, spots? Yeah. Oh, I, like I mentioned, St. Mary's, Elk, yeah. uh, Michelle, Skookumchuck, yeah. Yeah. Um, Bull River. I never fished the Bull River. I'm intrigued by the Bull River. Not because of the potential bull track for, for cutthroat. Um, I want to fish the Upper Elk hmm. by Sparwood area. Yeah. I want to explore that. I, the East Kootenays to me is just one of the most beautiful parts of British Columbia of Canada. Yeah, you know, and, um, I agree. And it's and it's stream angler's dream. <laughs> it is, uh, and I, Stillwater. There, it's just it's, uh, yeah. and beautiful, beautiful clear water and oh, some big fish. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I have a lot of good rivers around me here that I like to fish all the time as well. But I like to explore explore that part of the province too. And um, so that's ever... what I've planned, but. You ever spend we'll any time on the Smilkameen? Many, many years ago, oh, when I was still doing my PhD and traveling between Vancouver and Okanagan, mm-hmm. um, I spent a couple of times on my way to the Okanagan. I spent some time on the Smilkameen. I, I enjoyed it. It's a smaller fish, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. For um, sure. I'm just curious. That's, lots of them. That's kind of my home yeah. river. Um, okay, yeah. What um, You mentioned you had a really good buddy in Penticton, and I missed the name. I might even know this person. Who's your good buddy in Penn? Ken Baker. Okay. No, uh, it's a familiar name. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's also retired for a few years. He, I, he's from Vancouver. Yeah. And um, uh, when I joined the Osprey Fly Fisher, mm-hmm. uh, he and I sort of connected. He's, and he's much older. I mean, he's now, I think, 70, I think he's turning 79 this year. Okay. Um, we sort of connected and had a lot of good times together and fishing together. Um, and he's lived now in the Okanagan. I have not, I don't see him that often. I saw him two, three years ago. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you know, um, but yeah, he's, he's, I think, yeah, he's down there. I have to give a talk to the club there in May 6th, I think, for the Penticton fly fishers. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, Hey, if you're down here, um, give me a shout because, um, We'll get you out to the winery, taste some wines, and maybe chase some oh. fish if you got time. Um, oh, I well, definitely it will be on my list. You 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 can you can bank <laughs> bank that one. I will definitely I like fly it. fishing and then some wine. That's uh, that's uh, that's combination uh, that's hard to beat. Yeah, I hear you. Um, this is a bit of a weird question, but I always like to ask it. Is there anything bizarre? that has happened to you in your time on the water, whether it's like a wildlife encounter or just, you wouldn't believe it, but this actually happened. Oh, um, I had some, Ooh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some things here. Yeah, I know. Nothing uh, usually there's usually, you know, you're sitting on some gold, but it's like, you have to, oh, you have to yeah. think about it. But, but they say on the spot, you sort of track. Well, one that comes to mind right away, it was sort of one of the stories. This is a true story because I have uh, my, I was with my um, father-in-law on a river. He just came along. He, just, he doesn't fish. So he just comes along when he was, when he could. And we were at this river, and uh, I was nymphing, 
I hooked a white fish, and as I was as I was playing the white fish, um, a bull trout came, grabbed the white fish, and in the commotion, the hook came out of the white fish, hooks the bull trout. The white fish gets away. I land the bull trout. <laughs> that is a true story. Um, that sounds like then, an East Kootenai uh, trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I'm a lot. It's it's funny. Oh man. Before I had kids, I did every year two or three trips with a bunch of guys, four or five day trips, and there's always something weird that happens. Mm. And for some reason, I just can't think of all of them. Some of them I can't share, <laughs> but uh, okay. uh, but some of them, some of the funniest things, you know. Uh, sometimes you break out in cold sweat. Why would we do that again? You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, when, oh, this one. Uh, it's not bizarre. It's just sort of something you think afterwards. Why did we do that? Uh, so it's very my Rob Bryce, he, he's big steelhead guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided, it was probably 11 years, no, nine years ago, we're going to hit the, um, the Dean River. So we figured we'll take his boat, launch in uh, uh, at Pelicula, and then take the boat up the Dean Channel to Dean River. It's a three-hour boat ride, but that ocean can get quite, quite nasty, the water in that little channel. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's not something I'll do again. You know, you sort of, yeah, it's not something I'll do again. It, it, was, it was pretty rough. And uh, Maybe yeah. not worth risking your life to get there? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no. There's one of those things you think, yeah, no, I got away there with one. Yeah. You know, it's not worth risking your life. I mean, we have a lot of, I'm trying to think weird encounters. Oh. No, you that? know, the moment we're done chatting, I will, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? You know, that's how it goes. Yeah. But, yeah. It's all I mean, good. We have some funny not funny, but some cool animal encounters over the years. Another friend of mine, same friend, a third friend of mine went with us on this Dean River trip. His name's Matt. He has a jet boat too. And we're coming down the river one day. It's my first time I saw a cougar. And I don't know why a cougar didn't hear us. So we're coming down the river, coming around the corner, and we startled this cougar drinking water. And this cougar jumps in the air when and it's a big animal. I couldn't believe how big a cougar is. And he started running down the, the river for maybe. 100 meters or so before it cut into the bush, but it's a big animal. Mm. So we had a lot of cool encounters like that. You yeah. know, stumbling, one, walking down a river again, walking into a wolf den. <laughs> but, so we walk down the river, and suddenly we see all these wolf tracks everywhere. And we look up against the bank, there's a hole with cubs and whole wolf <laughs> packed there. <laughs> we made sure we get out of there pretty quickly. So I, I love those kind of encounters over the years. Yeah. You know, we sort of break out in cold sweat. Yeah, uh, been there. I can, I can tell you lots of those kind of stories. Is, uh, is there, before we let you go, we're going to get all, all the info at the end of the show um, about your new book, where we can find it. Um, but where, if, if is there something that you think we should change about fly fishing? Like, is there anything we could be doing better in your mind as a group? Whew. You know, that's a tricky, tricky question. You know, when I moved to BC, I was taken aback, in, in, a, in a good way, how conservation-minded the anglers are here, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Even the most casual angler was very conservation-minded, except when it comes to certain species of fish, you know? Uh, whitefish, white, uh, luckily, I think the attitude towards mountain whitefish have changed over the years. It's, a lot of people like fishing for them now. The main ones they go out and target them, 
but when they catch them, they will treat them with respect and release the fish. And, uh, and this is probably going to, people can roll their eyes at, at me for this one, but I think a lot of species like Northern Pike Manu and, and Pimia of Chapman, things like that, mm-hmm. they're endemic to the province. I mean, they, they, they belong here. Sure. Any perceived increase in numbers are due to anthropo- anthropogenic disturbance, human effects, not them outcompeting the rainbow trouts because it's of our impact on the, on trout that provides a space for, for them to thrive. That's well put. Uh, that's really well put. Uh, yeah. So that, I think that's the one thing I think. I mean, other things are sort of just minutia, I think. But I think, well, that and I think also as, ang- as an angling community, how we practice our craft, we need to be um, more conscious in how we communicate to the non-angling community. I mean, only 10% of people, I think, fish, something like that. It's a very small minority, right? Hmm. Um, it used to be a time where catch and release, and I think catch and release is an effective conservation tool. Um, but the voices that are against catch and release are growing louder. And we as a community need to guard against this because I think um, it will take a very powerful conservation tool and that sustains recreational fishing can be taken away. And I think we just need to be aware of that hmm. and how we practice it. I think that's just, just that's just my two cents. And um, yeah, no and good stuff. People, people may disagree with me on that. No, I, I, uh, you know what? You you've had a lot of um, a lot of great points tonight. A lot of really well thought out um, theories, thoughts, and experiences. And I, I just want to thank you for for taking the time. And and I think when we pick up a book like this, or we look at um, some of your writings of BC Outdoors, we don't always appreciate how much work goes into it because you're giving us content. And as you know, with YouTube and all these, uh, you know, the new uh, social media out there, the content is what gets us stoked. The content is what gets us wanting to go fishing. It brings more people to the water and in turn brings more people to the conservation of that water. And, you know, the more that we have enjoying that resource, the more likely we are to take care of it. So thanks. Thanks for putting together all the work you have done on this book and all, all the articles you've done over the years and, and for taking the time tonight. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark. And thanks for humoring me. As I said, I can talk people's heads off when it comes to fishing. Uh, I really enjoyed our chat. It was, it was, it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And next time we can talk more, talk more about wine too. I can talk, for hours on wine you know it's uh you're talking my language you're talking my language we've been chatting tonight with donnie erasmus now donnie's out of uh, prince george british columbia he's a uh doctor uh in uh, he's at university of northern bc in biochemistry microbiology aquatic entomology genetics wine chemistry and wine microbiology thanks for joining us tonight the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com thank you for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast your feedback matters let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed email us at mark at flyfishing 97.com until next time tight lines and we'll see you on the water